Life Center family, everyone in Canada, Cornwall, Orleans, uh, Pastor Jeff and I, we are just privileged and honored to be bringing the word this morning. And so for the next few minutes, we just want to call you just to be engaged in God's word and just open up your heart to posture yourselves just to hear God speak. That is the whole purpose of this series, to listen to Jesus, not just to listen like Jesus, but to listen to Jesus. And so I want to begin by reading a scripture to you found in the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, and it says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to to save your souls. Throughout this past year, we've been focused on one question as a church, and that question is, what does it mean to be more like Jesus? And never before, at least in my life, has this question been more relevant to what it means to be the people of God in this nation of Canada, but also in this nation's capital this past year, these past 13 months. It has been said that with God, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Now, I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but as we headed into the lockdown two weeks ago, you know, it just so coincided with us beginning this series on what does it mean to listen like Jesus. And I wonder to myself, I asked the question that in the midst of this moment where it feels like opinions and thoughts and beliefs on this past year, on this pandemic, on all matters that are happening around the world, as they become more polarized and intense, could it be that God in this moment is calling his church to be more quick to listen and slower to speak? You know, in the book of James, which is, it's not a very big book, but in, these, in this book, in, these, in this letter, James is writing to Christians who have become dispersed from their homeland due to intense persecution. I find it very interesting that James spends so much time in such a small letter instructing and warning followers of Christ who are under such great stress and difficult circumstance to both open up their ears, but as well be careful and to guard what it is that they have to say. Fast forward to us today, and is the same message, can it apply to us? Could God be calling you and me in the heat and intensity of this moment to be a people who are slow to speak and quick to listen? You know, for the next few minutes, Pastor Jeff and I, we want to, we want to address this question. And the question is, how do we listen like Jesus in a time of such intense polarization? That in a moment where the temperature the climate has never been this hot. When voices have never been this loud, calling you this way or that way, how do we follow in the way of Christ? Recently, I heard a pastor ask his congregation this question, who did you lose this past year? Who did you lose? No, he was not talking about COVID-19. He wasn't talking about death or disease. But rather, who did you lose this past year due to the ever-increasing polarization of opinion, thought, belief? Whether it's masks or no masks, vaccines, politics, conspiracy theories, or whatever you like, who did you lose? Did you lose a friend? Did you lose a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a, a parent, a, a sibling, a child? Whoever or whatever it was, did you lose them or did they lose you? Because 
there grew a distance between you, what you believed and what they believed that just seemed too great to overcome. You know, we're being told, and, and the scary thing is that there's data that's starting to support this claim that right now, the Western world, we haven't been this divided since the civil rights movement. The advent of the internet and social media has dawned on us this new age that has come with so many blessings, but at the same time has come with so much growing pain. I remember growing up, there, I was told that you never want to meet your hero in person because if you meet your hero in person, they might just disappoint you. And I remember that when social media began and my childhood hero joined and I got to see what they really thought and what they really believed and what they were really like, yeah, I was certainly disappointed. You know, every day, all day, we have access to each other's thoughts and beliefs in ways that leave some of us wanting to cheer each other on, like, yes, you go, they're like me. Or perhaps they are leaving you feeling a little bit disappointed or confused. Do you, do I, do you really believe that to be true? Is that what you are, are really like? You know, we are polarized like never before, and worst of all, it seems like the world just has no answers. You know, digital algorithms are brilliantly designed to reward and promote this sort of polarization. Calls for unity by leaders sometimes feel like mere platitudes because we often confuse unity with uniformity. The world can seem to overcome this polarization, and as a result, people are tired, are frustrated, are angry, and are feeling hopeless. They're ready to pick up their ball and go home. But it's in moments like these that, church, I believe we have some of our greatest opportunity at hand, that we have the opportunity in a time of intense polarization to be salt and light, to be a witness that in Christ and only in Christ can we overcome this polarization, that together through our differences, we can follow the way of Jesus and learn how to listen for his voice. Following the way of Jesus and listening for his voice. Pastor Terry, even that statement can lead to division and hostility. Sadly, the words of Jesus in scripture are often weaponized. Uh, they're, they're used to create divides sometimes, draw battle lines, or be thrown around as like social media mic drops as if to say, I'm speaking with authority on this issue, case closed, I'm right, you're wrong, just deal with it. Now here's the thing, to polarize, if we're going to talk about polarization, what do we mean by that? To polarize means to divide into two sharply contrasting groups or sets of opinions or beliefs. That's what we see happening today. Everything gets polarized. You're made to choose which side you are on. Who do you align with? Which faction or group has the truth in which it doesn't have the truth and has the exact opposite of that? That's the world that we seem to live in. Now, polarization, it has a long history. Since the Garden of Eden, when humanity chose to decipher good and evil for ourselves. Because in doing so, we chose to be at odds with God. In our sin nature, we chose to have contrasting set of beliefs to Him. Right? right there, that's where that polarization began. But then Jesus... Jesus crossed from heaven to earth. He crossed that polarizing divide. He paid the price that we couldn't pay to give us life that we 
could never earn. Now, Jesus didn't lower the bar or change the standard of what it means to be aligned in with God. He just moved the line and how to get there. Through his act of love, he did that. Now, to be Christians, then, it isn't necessarily to be depolarized, per se, or to, to get rid of all polarization. It's to find ourselves on the same side as Jesus. Now, and this is where it gets uncomfortable. Because unless we listen, unless we stop, like Pastor Terry was saying, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Unless we listen and align ourselves with Jesus, we often try to bring Jesus to our side instead. And if we have a side, then that must mean there is another side that we are against. There's somebody out there that has the opposite point of view that is our opposition or enemy. And that again, it's just that temptation for us to decide for ourselves right and wrong. To make enemies of those who don't see the world the way we do. Like Pastor Terry was saying, who have you lost this year? And yet to be Christian is to be wholly set apart. Right? That's what we understand. Holiness, being set apart for God. Discipleship to Jesus requires a certain polarization from which no true believer can actually escape. So what is that being set apart? Because it, it undeniably creates space. But space and polarization from what? Now, when we look at Jesus... We see that Jesus entered humanity, uh, probably similar to what we are going through today, intense polarization. And like we said earlier, Jesus doesn't lower the bar, he moves the line. Jesus reorients what being set apart looks like through his actions and his words. Now his actions, how did he do that? We can take a simple look at his disciples. Who did Jesus call to follow him? You'd think if he was choosing a certain type of people to be on his side, they would look somewhat similar. They'd have a similar mindset, similar background maybe, similar ideology that is driving them. But when you look at who he chose, he chose what? Tax collector. Someone who betrayed Israel, betrayed the Jewish faith in order to work alongside Rome. He chose zealots, those who were violently or militantly looking to defend Israel and its interests. He chose fishermen that were the, the insignificant of Israel. And scandalously enough, Jesus even had women following in his group of followers. That's who Jesus chose to be in his circle. He chose to remove the boundaries of what it looked like to belong, to be a part of his group, followers of what the kingdom of heaven actually looked like. Also, we could look at Jesus' table practice, who Jesus ate with, who he sat with, who he talked with. We see that he often ate in the homes of tax collectors and Pharisees, sinners, the sick, the unclean. That's who Jesus associated with. And when we look at the polarization of maybe what we would want to see uh, our faith or religion look like, we see that Jesus' actions turned all this on its side. He moved the line of what it looked like to belong. He also did it with his words. 
Be wary of who you listen to. Be wary of who you listen to. Matthew 16, 6 says, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why did he say that? Why would he say to watch out for this, this leaven or yeast that mixes into everything and, and, and spreads throughout everything? Why would he say something like that? Because Jesus came to move the line. Jesus, in his teachings in the Beatitudes, in Matthew, he used this common refrain that, that was used to, to set somebody's teaching up. He said this, we can see an example out of a Matthew 5.43. He said, you have heard it that it was said. That, that phrase right there. You have heard that it was said. Which means, you heard teaching like this. Or you heard it interpreted like this. And he says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they had been taught. That's what they had been interpreted uh, the, the Torah and the old the law of, of Moses to mean. And then Jesus says, but I say to you. And what he's doing there is saying, I'm going to interpret this for you in a new way, in a different way. And he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus moves the line. He radically shifts how we deal with right and wrong, good and evil. He overturns who we see and identify as opposition. Now, if we lean in, we lean in close, we can hear him. We can hear him say and talk to us, ask us. See, through his life, Jesus moved that line to resolve the problem of polarization that plagues us by provoking and asking fundamental questions that help us in this. Who is my neighbor? And who is my enemy? You're preaching fire this morning, Pastor Jeff. Woo. I can feel the heat coming through this plexiglass in between you and I. <laughs> Woo. As Pastor Jeff mentioned, you know, one of the greatest challenges that we will ever have in becoming more like Jesus is learning how to listen to his voice and not the many polarizing voices in our culture who are constantly trying to define who is your friend and who is your foe, who we should love and whom we should hate. You know, following Jesus, just as we sang this morning, is about taking up our cross. I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, we bear our cross, and one of the crosses that we must bear as we follow Christ is surrendering the choice to determine who exactly is my neighbor and who is my enemy. You know, our culture is always trying to draw lines in the sand to determine who is the us and who is the them. But our allegiance to Christ means it is no longer the voice inside us or the voices around us, but rather the voice within us, the spirit of Christ, who gets to answer for us the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my enemy? In the Gospel of Luke, we meet a man who is a lawyer. And like so many in that time who had already made up his mind, who determined in his heart who exactly his neighbor was and his neighbor wasn't, he stands up to Jesus with the sole purpose of putting Jesus to the test. He doesn't want to hear what Jesus has to say. He doesn't want to learn and grow from what it is that Jesus is about to speak. He wants to put him to the test. And here's what we read in Luke chapter 10, picking up in verse 25. A lawyer stood up to, to, up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, 
and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, this lawyer is a smart man. You know, he knows what's written in God's law. He knows he, that it is required of him in order to inherit eternal life that he must love his neighbor. But as a good lawyer might do, he sees a loophole. He sees a loophole in the word of God that, yes, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, that loving my neighbor is required of me in God's law, but who exactly is my neighbor? You know, he asks this question to Jesus, not out of the desire to hear what Jesus has to say, for he has already determined in his heart who his neighbor is. My neighbor is who I want my neighbor to be. My neighbor is who looks like me, talks like me, believes like me, thinks like me, votes like me, tweets like me. You know, he only cares for what Jesus has to say as long as Jesus is affirming and justifying what he has already determined in his heart. He certainly wants Jesus to speak as long as Jesus is proving himself right. And sadly, I wonder, have we ever been guilty of doing the same thing? I know I have. You know, we come to Jesus in prayer. We ask him to speak. We want to hear his voice, but not because what he has to say is something I want to know or that I want to grow. But I listen to his voice because I want Jesus to validate my voice. I want Jesus to justify what I've already determined in my heart to be true. I want to listen to Jesus so that Jesus' words can prove me right. And what Jesus does in this moment is what Jesus always does in moments like these. He perceives our hearts and he speaks so that those who have ears to hear, they will hear. And so the story that Jesus tells the lawyer is known as one of the most well-known, most well-known parables of Jesus. And that is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which that, that sentence, that word title right there, the Good Samaritan, is perhaps the greatest oxymoron that existed in that day. And the story that Jesus tells is about a man who is on his way, a Jewish man from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on this journey he is taken down by some robbers. He is beaten up and he is left on the side of the road for dead. And as he lies there praying, hoping, pleading for someone to stop and help him, there are three men that encounter this, this man lying on the side of the road. The first two are a priest and a Levite, who by all accounts are the closest thing this man has to an actual neighbor. But having their own reasons, uh, religiously speaking, they cross to the other side of the road so that they, have, they have, will avoid having to come in contact with this man. And then comes in the story of Jesus the Samaritan, who by all accounts should be the last person that you ever want to come across your path in moments like these. For reasons we just can't get into this morning, the Samaritan was the despised enemy of the Jewish people. It is said that when you needed to travel to one place to another, if Samaria was in your path and it was the quickest route, the people of Israel would rather travel and take the extra time to go all the way around Samaria to avoid going through this land. A Samaritan was only a neighbor in regards to geography. Everything else about this man made him a despised enemy. Yet, as only Jesus can do it best, it's not the priest or the Levite who stops to help the man. It's the Samaritan. The Samaritan stops. Why? Because he has compassion on the man. He binds up his wounds. He puts him on his own animal and takes him to the nearest inn to be cared for, covering all expenses. 
And in Luke 10, Jesus says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer responded, he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. See, why so much polarization exists in a moment like this is because we have believed the lie that it is we or our culture that gets to determine who is friend and who is foe. But if we are to be so bold to come to Jesus and ask him that question, who is my neighbor, he will tell you today. Your neighbor, your neighbor, regardless of how different they are from you, politically, socially, ethnically, is the one you show mercy towards. When you show mercy towards another person, in Christ's eyes, they are automatically and instantaneously your neighbor. You see, a neighbor is not someone who, who, who is determined by how much you think alike. A neighbor is determined by how much compassion you have towards the person who is on the other side of that belief, that thought, that opinion. Neighbors are those willing to be the first to cross over the line when everyone else has taken sides. A neighbor is the one who binds up the wounds of others, even when it comes at a great cost, personal expense and cost. Being a neighbor is willing to show mercy and showing mercy to those around us, to those not like us, to those who think differently than us. Showing mercy is what will overcome the voice of polarization that exists all around us. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 32 to 35, if we love those who love us, what benefit is that to us as a church? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons and daughters of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Be merciful. Be merciful. For when we are merciful, as our Father has been merciful to us, the most amazing thing happens. Even our enemies can suddenly become our neighbors. The most radical command Jesus ever gave his disciples was to love your enemies. And the reason I believe that Jesus has called us to love his enemies, or love our enemies, is the same reason why, how he was able to pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do as he hung on that cross. For when you show mercy, not even your enemy is actually your enemy. You see, the voice of polarization will only exist and thrive when we believe that there is an us and a them. But in Christ, wherever and whenever we encounter an us or them, we are called to be a people who is us for them. And so as the people of God, as Christians, as disciples, we are, and we are called to be perhaps the only people on earth who at any time, any place, anywhere, are ready and able and willing to love our enemies. To do good to those who do evil to us. To lend, expecting nothing in return. To forgive when they are not ready to reconcile. Because the voice of Jesus tells us today that your enemy, your enemy, 
is not each other. It's not that person who disagrees with you. It's not that person on the other side of that screen. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is against the powers and principalities of darkness. Today in Christ, we have an enemy, and it's our only one and true enemy, and it's not each other, but it's God's enemy. It's Satan. And one of the greatest plots with Satan that we must expose and we must resist. It's a lie that we have an enemy and it's not him, it's each other. But as we fight back against that lie, not by listening to the voice of culture, but by listening to God's voice, the voice of Jesus, calling us not to be polarized against each other, but to be polarized against sin and flesh and darkness. Only then, when we are polarized against our true enemy, can we then look into the face of our so-called enemies here on earth. And when we look into the face of our enemies, we can call them our brothers, our sisters, our friends, and our neighbor. That's awesome, Terry. The thing is, when we look at what Jesus says in that parable, he, leads, he leaves them with, go and do likewise. It's amazing. Jesus, he, he comes along and he demonstrates who our neighbor is supposed to be, who our enemy really is. But he doesn't fully explain how to be a neighbor. He doesn't. And that's tough for us, isn't it? We want Jesus to say, this is how to be a neighbor uh, to both those close to you and to your enemy. We want him to do that. And I think we think it'd be so much easier if Jesus were just to lay that out for us and say, this is what it looks like to be a neighbor to your enemy, to be good, to show mercy to all these people. This is what that can look like. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. How we love our neighbor, how we extend mercy, how we see injustice are all questions of morality. We're, we're looking and seeing, based off morals, how to respond in a certain situation. But this story wasn't about morality. It was about eternal life. That's what the lawyer had come to him and asked. What must I do to gain eternal life? Trying to define the boundaries uh, or remove them altogether, they're always going to fall short if we use morality as our, our guide. Because all of this is going to lead us into discussions about the subjective moral relativism. Again, going back all the way to the garden, us choosing right and wrong, good and evil in our own eyes. And those are arguments that we're going to circle around over and over again. And when we try to do that, at best, loving our neighbor or, or choosing who our neighbor is, is going to either increase polarization or at best neutralize it. Again, Jesus doesn't lower the bar here. He doesn't, he moves the line. The answer isn't found in defining who your neighbor is. The answer is find, found in defining who you are. You see, this parable is about our own identity. If we root the sense of neighbor in loving God and loving others, and that defines us, that identity rooted in love, it excludes the possibility of asking about boundaries. Boundaries that could close off compassion and mercy or permit racism in attitudes of superiority. Uh, that was a big sentence for me to write, let alone say. So let's just like dumb that down so even I understand what I'm saying there. 
when we try to put boundaries on loving God and loving others, when we do so, we are, we're, we're negating the idea of even loving when we do so because we say you deserve love and you don't. There's a boundary to where my love has to end. And that doesn't fit into loving God and loving others. Powerful. When people ask Jesus, what must I do? What must I do to gain eternal life? What must I do to follow you? Jesus answers them with a question like this. What kind of person are you? He just moves the line of what it means to follow him, to hear him. This parable in the New Testament, they're more of an identity book than a guidebook. It tells what Christian character is and not what actions must be done in each case. Those who listen to Jesus refuse polarizing boundaries for neighbors and instead love even those who would be seen as enemies. And now we're left to express this identity to others and what our limits, if there are any, short of martyrdom, might be. Think about it. Where is that line of what you do for another? How far do you go in showing love? God leads it up to us and the Holy Spirit to redefine that in our circumstances. Now Jesus, he overcame the polarization by showing his love for us. Right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were far from him, he showed us what love was. Now he's asking us to love our neighbor and even love our enemy as he loved us. So where do we even start with that? Where do we start? How do I love both my neighbor and someone perceived as an enemy, someone in opposition to me? May I humbly suggest some starting points, not boundaries, but starting points of what loving your neighbor could look like. Number one, repent, confess. Recognize where you have created division and judged others, set up boundaries that don't need to exist. And ask for forgiveness from God and others. Think of the prayer of the tax collector versus the Pharisee. What kind of prayer do we approach God with? What type of heart do we come to Him with? May we repent and confess of where we've set up those boundaries. Number two, stop taking sides. We don't need better sides or more right sides or, or farther to the right or left sides. We need a rescuing Savior. We need to align ourselves with the love of Jesus, what he has for us and how that transforms us. We don't need better self-definitions. We need our identity firmly rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. Number three. Just hit mute on all those voices out there. Just hit mute on them and listen to Jesus. The voices of politics, and it seems like everything nowadays is politicized. The voices of Pharisees, please be very discerning what spiritual and prophetic voices you listen to. Do they align with Jesus in his word? Instead, maybe pray and study and spend time in God's word. I heard one person talk about uh, the amount of time they spent in social media or news and things like that. And they said they challenged the other person to spend that much time 
reading the Bible and praying to God. You want to spend a couple hours uh, listening to whatever uh, so media and news outlet you want to, spend that much time listening to the voice of God. Jesus, he was virtually silent when it came to the matter of politics in his day. There's only two comments that he made, and I heard this from Rick Warren. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and my kingdom is not of this world. Right there, that's the extent of Jesus' commentary on politics. Give to the government what the governments, and our, our, our world, the kingdom of God, is not of this world. Number four, open your table. Just like Jesus And how he had a wide open table to eat with whoever wanted to come to him. Hospitality heals. Even in a pandemic, practice hospitality. Look for ways to reach out to others. To see them. To hear them. To listen to their stories of brokenness, hurt and pain. And sit with them in that moment. Why do we do that? 1 John 1 says this. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, neighbors. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We want to be on the right side. We want to be on Jesus' side. The polarization of what we see in our world is not something we want to dive into. We want to find ourselves deeply rooted in who Jesus is. So may we listen to the word, and may it be in us. Together, may we be one with him. Once we stop seeing one another as the enemy, we can then see as Jesus sees. Once we learn that it's an identity and character question, not a morality question, we can lean into who we are to be and what we are to do. Once we love our neighbor and enemy, we see who our true enemy is. The one roaming, seeking who he may devour, and we find our fight there. It's a heavy topic today, isn't it, Pastor Jeff? It is. But you know what gives me hope today is, uh, is knowing that the world it needs to heal. The world can only go so long being polarized before it decides we need to heal. And they're go- the world's going to be looking, looking for something, someone to show us what does it mean to live in harmony and unity. And I believe that we, the church, we are set up perfectly for the moment that we are about to step into. As the world is going to need to heal, we, the church, can both set the example and we can extend the invitation to say, come, come to this table. This is a table that is always open. This is not a closed table because we don't get to determine who we invite to the table. It's God's table. He gets to to invite. And so I just want you today to, to have hope, to get excited for what the future holds for the church. That we, that God has given us everything that we need to overcome this hostility and this polarization. But it begins with us. It begins by looking inwards and remembering today that because our Father has been merciful towards us, we can be merciful towards each other, towards those that are not like us today. 
And so as we now move to a time of prayer, I just want to leave you with these last few questions. Have you in this season, you know, this past year, have you been quick to listen and slow to speak? Or has it been vice versa? You know, you've been (laughs) slow to listen and quick to speak. You know, have you shown mercy the way that your father has been mercy, merciful towards you? You know, in what ways have you taken sides and in what ways has God calling you and is moving the line in your life to show you that it's not us and them, but it's us who are called to be for them? You know, the hope, the good news today is that regardless of where we've been, regardless of what we've done, regardless of how well or, or not well we have, we have navigated this polarization, that none of us are perfect, but we serve and love a perfect Savior who has paid it all for us, So that wherever we're at today, we can stop, we can confess, and he will heal us, and he will restore us. So that we can, as Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise today. We can show mercy. We can extend the invitation. We can open up our table. And so today, now let's just pause together as a church. And let's just, wherever we are, just bow our heads and just reach out to our Heavenly Father and uh, go to him right now in prayer on this matter. So Heavenly Father, today we begin this time of prayer just by stopping and reflecting on the mercy that you have shown towards us. Today we look at Jesus. While we were sinners, Christ, you died for us. You have set the example and you have made a way so that we can be merciful as our Father is merciful towards us. God, we the church are asking you to help us in this time. I think so many of us might acknowledge that our flesh is weak today. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And we have been tempted, and we maybe have even fallen under that temptation to jump into the fray, to speak into and to contribute to this time of polarization. God, if we have done that in any way, Lord, just show our hearts And may we just right now just ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name. May we confess so that we may be healed. And Lord, now as we we step into this fourth quarter of this pandemic, Lord, Lord, help us to be an example. Help us to model the way of Christ. Help us to listen, not just like Jesus, but to listen to Jesus. Because Jesus, we know that you are speaking to us in a moment like this. You are calling us towards, not away. You are calling us to, and to others, Lord. And I just pray that you prepare in us a heart that is like Jesus in every matter and in every way. God, we know that it is only through you, it is only in Christ that we can overcome this polarization. So may we not try to do it in our own strength. May we not try to do it in any other way, which only at best just neutralizes, keeps the peace. God, we want to be peacemakers. You say, blessed are the peacemakers. So help us to make peace in a time where there is very little peace. We ask this and believe that your spirit is going to strengthen us for this journey, that is going to give us everything that we need to be a people who overcome, to be a people who heal, not divide. So spirit, strengthen us. Spirit, fill us today. Spirit, show us the way in which we may go. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said in Canada, Cornwall, Orleans, or wherever you are watching today, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Terry, high five through the plexi. It has been a pleasure to bring the word with you today. Sit beside you as you brought the fire. Everybody, like you said, in Canada, Cornwall, Orleans, we love you.
And we pray that this week you dive into what we've been talking about in life groups, small groups, uh, on your prayer walks. Dive into what does it look like to love your neighbor and to see an enemy as your neighbor. We pray you'll dive into it. You'll look at the different ways you can launch into doing that. And we love you. We, we see you even if it's from a distance. Christina, I see you out there messaging me all the time. We love you and we just we can't wait to dive into what this looks like every day uh, for, for you. So we're signing off today and have an absolutely amazing day. Bless you.